Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Pentecost season to all of you this Thursday, June the 23rd, as the light of Jesus shines on us from Genesis chapter 20. A lot of crazy stuff has happened the last few chapters, and you would think that there wouldn't be anything else that could top it off, but I would argue eh, chapter 20 kind of does. As we look at Abraham, it sounds like a story that happened not too many chapters before, but also it shows how God's grace is sufficient even for the actions of Abraham, and that means that his grace is sufficient in repentance and the forgiveness by the blood of Jesus for you. So as we look at this, as we always do, open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back Pastor Stuart Crown of Trinity Lutheran Church in Palo Alto, California. Pastor Crown, happy Pentecost and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, the Lord be with the saints of his church and grant to us the Holy Spirit for understanding the scriptures for our faith. It's Pastor, good to be back with you. It is so great to have you back. So, Pastor, tell us about yourself and the work of the saints at Trinity this Pentecost season. Well, coming up, we have a planning session, uh, and the the hope of the planning session, of course, is to get the word out to the nations, which are streaming toward yet the Silicon Valley. And our hope, of course, is to equip each of the saints with the word that they are ready in season and out of season to give the testimony of the hope that lives within them. So that is our our um, our life each and every day, but especially when we gather for the divine service on Sunday. And Pastor, as you as you look at that and, and look at California, us Midwesterners don't always fully understand the need for that in California. And we were talking before the program, the opportunities that God has given you to proclaim God's word and the gospel and the truth of salvation in him recently, or maybe the last few years. Can you kind of tell us about that and, and how God has, has given you opportunities to proclaim in a place that maybe <laughs> wasn't necessarily looking for you to do so? Well, one of the opportunities that God has put before uh, churches in the Bay Area is that as people stream to this area for tech, then they also return home. And we hope that we have an opportunity then to plant the seed in some way into their lives that they carried back in some way. Uh, despite the technology that all allows us to broadcast with YouTube and Facebook, etc., that face-to-face connection is always primary, always the best way to do it. We thought several years ago that after the Vicarage program, we would pursue a, de- um, a deaconess to help us with the older members of the congregation, but when that did not blossom. Uh, I ended up and uh, going to a variety of residential care facilities, holding three services a month and doing Bible studies and visitation. And that has become a, a mission field, I think, neglected, especially during COVID. And it's been wonderful for the, the Christians in those facilities to have regular care, even if it's not a, a weekly pastoral care. They do have that connection with God's word, the gospel proclaimed to them. 
Well, and that's and this is something for us always to remember is that, well, people in the care facilities are sinners as well. So what do they need? The gospel every single day. And then you, at the same time, have, like you said, a lot of technology in your area, people across the street, everywhere we go, the 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 harvest is plentiful, as, as Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 9. So we pray for those opportunities, um, for us to be able to see them, proclaim faithfully, and I ask our listeners to pray for Pastor Crown and the saints at Trinity Lutheran Church to continue to proclaim his word. So, Pastor, on that note, as we talk about prayer, can you begin our time as we look and study God's word and begin our time in prayer? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we implore you for the gift that we need the most, your Holy Spirit, that we may see your Son, Christ Jesus, clearly, and that our ears are open to hear his word, proclaiming to us our justification before you, that we may have confidence and boldness each day, despite the tribulations and trials that besiege us, that none of those will separate us from your love in your Son, Christ Jesus. As we hear this word from our forefather Abraham, grant to us, especially fathers, that they conduct themselves uprightly and justly, walking in your word, that they regard their children and especially their wives in their offices, that women regard the offices you have given to them as life bearers, and that we as households rejoice that you have given to us our children, that you would fill our homes with those olive shoots and our quivers with arrows, acknowledging that you are the one who gives our fruit and multiplies the family, and especially that you are the one who raises up the church and makes her fruitful and multiply by the word of your Son, Christ Jesus. Grant to us these things, Father, for the sake of your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. And Pastor, thank you for oh, reminding us of the vocations of the family and the importance of living that faithfully. If you have any questions concerning our text today, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Now, as we look at chapter 20, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version, and we hear the Word of God, Genesis chapter 20, and we'll be reading the whole chapter. We hear the Word of God. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. 
But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see and what did and you did this that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me, and every place to which we come say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord Yahweh had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This is the word of our Lord this morning. Pastor, this it sounds like a repeat, you know, repeat on, on a record or something. Um, but also, it's right, snip, snip, uh, right dab in the middle of a lot of other crazy stories. How do you want to start us off on the right foot today? Uh, this is God's futility, and he owns it. Mm. Uh, he is the one who burdened Eve back in Genesis 3, and he is the one who has burdened Sarah in this way chapter 12 and chapter 16, and now also here. And as his futility, he will use it as he sees fit, both for Abraham's faith, but also for ours, but especially so that his grace is known as he brings about the line that will bless all the nations, eventually through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we we keep this centered on God's action. Abraham seems to be the main character here, along with Sarah and Abimelech, but uh, they are not. Uh, God is the one burdening Sarah. God is the one moving Abraham around in the land. Uh, God is the one who gave them their vocations, their bodies, their age. He's the one who put Abimelech there. And so as long as we keep that in mind, uh, I think we'll have a, a far better grasp on what is happening and where this goes eventually into chapter 21, where... Finally, the birth has occurred, and then God once again owns the futility by wanting Abraham to sacrifice the son. So as we, as we look at that, Pastor, why is it important that you, you said this emphasis that, that God, is, God is in control? Is that the right way to say this? Why is that important? I, I wouldn't, How would you say it? I would not use the word control uh, because I think we tend to hear that as a law orientation, as it's simply his power dictating. And I prefer that if we see this through Genesis 1, God as the owner of the household, and as he brought forth life, he's generous and kind in bringing forth that life. 
So it isn't that his power does it. His power serves his purposes. His power serves his kindness and, and grace. So if we keep that signal at the center, because in Genesis 11 and 12, God calls Abram out of nothing. He makes Abram something. Hmm. Uh, not yet fully formed, because there's no generation, there's no fruitfulness and multiplication yet. So if we keep that power and service of the promise, I think we'll be guided more clearly to see Christ as the issue that is the offspring that Abraham really needs to see, and which he does, as our Lord says. He saw the day and was glad. And so as we look at, at Abraham and Abimelech, we see a pattern of, of not following God's ways. And why is that is something very important for us in our own world that we can get really despairing that we are not always following God's ways, that we are not following his ways. And here we have an example of Abraham, a great man of faith, as we know from Hebrews, a great man of, of, of all this, but even he doesn't follow this. Why is it important for us to remember this and to be able to look through this? And I, and I always use this language of Christ goggles, and you said that you know we may see Christ in this. Why is it important for us to be able to see this, but as you've mentioned, the wider scope is to make sure that we, one, don't try to throw Abraham under the bus, <laughs> at the same time, look at the, look at the scriptures faithfully. And any, any encouragement for our listeners with that? It's really no surprise, is it, that Abraham, Abram, does something twice? <laughs> um, you know, scholars would want to see this as a doublet, that it's simply the repetition for some sort of rhetorical end, some sort of storytelling method. But who of us, knowing Christ clearly, hasn't stumbled, fallen, tripped in the same way, uh, maybe days later, maybe the same day, despite Despite our desire for amendment of life, we still have those circumstances. And I think the author of the Hebrews provides that good answer. When he speaks about Abraham and Noah and Moses, what isn't spoken of is their failure. Everybody knows that. No matter how many mistakes or sins or rebellions or failures they might have had, it is the faith that covers everything everything. Nothing is accepted. That is, nothing is outside of that boundary, or the, the covering of the faith in God's promises. So, as we can see the, the failure of Abram to hold on to the promise, all the more we should see God's grace willing to uphold the promise, despite the, the weakness of his particular agents at any one time. Let's, let's hear these words. We are in chapter 20. I'm going to read through verse 7. And, and just, you know, just bring it back to hear it and to dig a little deeper. So Genesis 20, I'll read verses 1 through 7. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said to his wife, to, of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. You know, I'm going to stop there, Pastor, because that sets it all up. Like you said, this is a broken record. It's happened before. 
And there's a number of questions that come up in my mind. First of all, why would Abraham even do this? It's almost, I can't even imagine a scenario that my wife, I would go visit, um, well, I'll go visit San Jose, California. I'll walk into town and tell everyone, hey, this is my sister. Go ahead, you know, whatever. I can't imagine that kind of scenario. So can you break that down for us, what's happening? So, um, first of all, I think we should begin with the whole purpose of Abram, the focus on Abraham and Sarah, that it is not simply one marriage out of many or the barrenness of one family out of many. It is that God, through this particular couple, planned something great, and they are struggling with that, with that blessing of grace and not having the eyesight the, the bodily understanding, quite literally, of where this is going. So, I think we have to back up one verse. Hmm. They are still sojourning, they're still wandering about. Is it a surprise, then, that they don't have everything? They don't have a plot of land, they are still, if you will, in insecurity. They're still at the whims of the local rulers. Uh, they don't have a household, as it were, that is to pass on the household to a child. So in there, all of this is sort of working together, the land, the descendant, what the blessing looks like. Uh, you get snippets of this, uh, that they are sojourning, not just wandering about in Kadesh and Shur, but now sojourning near Gerar. And then Maybe they'll have something here. Maybe they'll have a household. But by the end of the story, there's no child yet. Mm -hmm. But they do have more sheep, more cattle, uh, more livestock, and they have more servants. But that doesn't seem to advance the story. It doesn't seem to. But if you look at the longer trajectory from chapter 12, you see God moving them toward that bit by bit, incrementally. And that's what faith is holding on to, or as we see this, that faith is seeing those promises of God, how he speaks to Abram through chapter 12 and 13 and 15 and 17, and uh, through through Pharaoh, as it were, and through Abimelech here, that there is progress. Maybe Abraham doesn't see it because he's so close, closely involved, but from our perspective, we see the development, the testing, and therefore the promise uh, being, can I say, uncovered as we get to the climax of the birth of Isaac and then his sacrifice. And so as we look at that, it, it's very <laughs> it's very interesting. There's there's a, a, a way of, do you have any historical background of, one, okay, this is my sister, and he's not technically not lying. <laughs> so it's one of those, the, the situations, you bring this up in confirmation class, you bring it up to someone who's newer, or actually who's been in the faith forever, uh, for their whole lives. And they're like, well, wait a second here. This wasn't technically a lie. So you have two things going on. One, why did he marry his sister? Two, um, uh, why is he, you know, isn't, isn't this a real big issue of faith that he's just going around lying? Any any background or history on that? Uh, sure. I, I do think that this, again, relates to the the, the promise through Abram. Uh, the patriarchs, uh, Nahor, well, not technically a patriarch, uh, married his niece, Milcah. Mm -hmm. Isaac marries his second cousin, Rebekah. 
Jacob marries his cousins, Rachel and Leah. It seems to be that when this happens, they are attempting to preserve themselves from Canaanite or irreligious influences. So when Abram says, this is my sister, I mean, he does want to preserve his life. Uh, and the, the marriage would not have been unusual, but I do think that he's trying to protect his own life because he thinks he will be killed. So as he passes Sarah off as sister, he's preserving his life. But as he marries his um, his cousin, right, um, he is also practicing the preservation of the family, which both sound very strange to us because it's not part of our culture. And even when we get to Mosaic laws, this kind of marriage is forbidden. So as we look at it, we continue um, to the next few verses. Pastor, is there anything else you want to highlight in those first two? Um, yeah, Abimelech does come up several times. Um, and the fact that Abimelech is mentioned a few times, not only here but in other locations, uh, suggests that Abimelech, meaning uh, my father is king, is probably a dynastic title or a title that they give the king of Gerar. So it doesn't have to be the same person. It's the title of the ruler in that particular area. Uh, and that, that does solve an issue of, well, how does this guy appear 90 years apart and still be king? That sounds too unusual. It's easily explained within the culture and by the, one might say, a throne name. And that's interesting, much like the pharaoh dynamic in Egypt, is that correct? Yes, yeah, pharaoh it would mean the, uh, the, the great house, right? Mm-hmm. The king for the great house. And so Abimelech has a similar title for Gerar. Interesting. All right. That's, that's, that's very, very helpful. So, Pastor, let's continue on. Verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. So I'm, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> so God comes to him and gets on him about, about doing this, but he seems to be innocent to me. So any, any thoughts on, on God coming in a dream and just kind of the dynamic to verse 3? Because you're like, wait a second here. How come God's getting on Abimelech's case? Yeah, this is one of those interesting aspects that, you know, God uses uh, Balaam's donkey to talk to a, a pagan prophet, and now God appears in a vision to or dream to Abimelech. We are typically operating with the understanding, as we gather on a Sunday, that God speaks to us through the written word, and it's to the Christian that he's speaking, not through the Quran or any other instrument. But now God chooses to appear in a dream to Abimelech, um, and I do think we have to narrow the focus that this is not the expected way that God communicates or uh, conveys his will to man. We should not expect our neighbors, our Gentile neighbors, or pagan neighbors, the nations, to wake up and then come to church and say, oh yeah, God gave me a vision last night to come to your church today, or that I was immoral, uh, at least not by vision. 
And so this is astounding that God takes such care of shepherding the events around Abraham and Sarah. Uh, again, this is God's futility. God owns this, and he is uh, making sure that he is preserving his agents despite uh, despite their own missteps. So let's continue on, verse 4. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And her, she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocent of my hand hands, I have done this. So Abimelech you know, claims innocence in this whole thing. Um, and he says these words, that I have not approached her. This is, I mean, to me, that would be much like I approach someone at a social gathering and just say, hey, I'm Brady. Um, but it sounds like they're talking about something different. Uh, about a minute before our break here, Pastor, when it says I did not approach her, what what is it Abimelech saying? Well, I, I, I did miss, misspeak earlier that they're, uh, they are brother and sister. I said cousin earlier. Oh, sure. That he wants to make sure that uh, he is proclaiming his innocence. He understands what it means to take somebody else's wife. So he has a, a high-minded uh, pagan and understands, probably uh, the first Gentile in the Old Testament, to understand that marriage is a gift and to violate it, in fact, uh, attacks or calls into question a divine will. So he does want to make sure that he, as king, doesn't bring upon his people punishment for any sort of violation. So although he takes a wife, the probable intent is not to have children with her, but maybe to cement an alliance, and that he is not drawn near her to uh, to consummate something which would have an impact upon uh, the promise given to Abraham and Sarah. So there can't be a child here uh, with Abimelech. Uh, that must be stopped. And so, so he is a... Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, finish that thought. I like it. Keep going. Oh, so, yeah, that Abimelech cannot be allowed to move on with any sort of plan lest something happened, and um, Abraham and Sarah are confused as to the child that Abimelech is somehow involved in the procreation, but the promise is said only to Abraham and Sarah. And... Hagar was excluded, Ishmael was excluded, so there cannot be another party that calls into question the promise of God here. So God intervenes in a, in a beautiful way that is probably different from when Abram and Sarai go to Egypt in Genesis chapter 12, where it appears there that there, there was something that happened between Sarai and, and, uh, and, 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 and the time in Egypt. But here it's very clear that nothing occurred because of that promise of the son that was still yet to come. So, Pastor, I want to talk more about that on the other side of our break. We are studying Genesis chapter 20 with Pastor Stuart Crown, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org.
And welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 20 with Pastor Stuart Crown of Trinity Lutheran Church in Palo Alto, California. Now, Pastor, I find it interesting here that that two things. First of all, you brought up a very good point that because is it because God came to him, Abimelech, in a dream, does not connect us to saying, oh, therefore. We should expect a whole bunch of people to come to our church and said, a dream led me here. This goes into this distinction that I've always heard of. Is is this descriptive or is this prescriptive? Obviously, God is working in that way, but he does not say, therefore, I will continue to do so. Secondly, with this, it's very intentional that God intervenes in a way to make sure that the promise is very clearly given in Isaac. Uh, of the son that is yet to come and carry on this lineage that eventually points us to Christ. So these are two very important uh, um, interpretive keys for us to understand as we look at this text. So, Pastor, anything else in these first four verses? No, I, I think you ha- <clears throat> excuse me, summarized it quite well with the descriptive nature of this, that we do not expect, even for ourselves, that God appears to us in particular dreams and therefore counsels us. Uh, we have the revealed word and uh, mediated by, by Christ and assured by Christ's death and resurrection. So we depend upon that. And again, God shepherding his promise in ways which, from us as outsiders to this Old Testament culture, seems quite strange. And this is where, this is where putting on Christ goggles it just kind of reminds me of this, or faith goggles, maybe you can say something along those lines. I don't want to messy it too much is we can look out in the world and kind of interpret it in a way where there is no God. You can, you can look that way without faith. And what we do is when you look at the story, you could easily say, wow, you know, huh, that kind of, this is all messed up. But we do see God's intervention there. And that's, and that's why we have a church, is that you're able to see how God is at work, not only in Scripture, but in our lives, and that we we proclaim that word so that they will have faith and to understand that God's mercy and grace is in the midst of all of it. And we speak about that in him there is no darkness at all, that there's light in this dark world, that there's forgiveness in this unforgiving world, and you're able to see the work of God in our lives specifically, obviously, through that word and understanding. And that's where I love how you started all this, is to be able to see it through the lens of faith, as opposed to just seeing it as a nice story. Um, and that's something that we pray that you, our listeners, will be able to do in your daily vocations, is to be able to see daily life uh, in that those faith Christ goggles, because it's too easy for us to think that, well, there's really nothing going on here. It's just kind of up to us, and there is no God. But clearly, God does intervene. Any, any thoughts, any other thoughts, Pastor? Yeah, I, I want to go to uh, Proverbs 31, although not so directly connected, where Abraham wants to preserve his own life and passes off Sarah as his sister, which is technically true, but not a full confession. The, the husband in Proverbs 31 stands up and tells his children to stand up and publicly proclaims the honor of his wife and how she does wonderful things, and then how you know, beauty is fleeting, uh, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And that's how Sarah is recognized then in First Peter chapter 3. She's lauded for her faithfulness. 
again, it's interesting that her part in all of this, she doesn't say anything here. Mm. Uh, but her faithfulness is highly regarded through the entire well, Abraham cycle, one might say. And again, we keep our eyes on the faith and not the failure, because the, the, the faith is what the faith in God's promises, the faith that in Christ's blood covers the failure, and it is by grace that this story moves on, and the child is born. Well, and by by grace, we <laughs> move on as well. I think it's oh, a great way yeah. to think about it as well. So verse 6, let's continue on. Then God said to him in, in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. This, <laughs> this is a very interesting turn because at first it's like, oh, so I'm innocent. And we might kind of like, ah, live and let live. No big deal. You made a mistake. No big deal at all. But God's pretty upfront with him that, okay, now you know the truth. And therefore, if you do this, you will surely die. And it's just, this is amazing. Uh, when we look at the Lord, we can kind of treat it like, well, yeah, I'm not supposed to do that, but really nothing's going to happen to me. Where God's pretty serious here. If you do this, there will be consequences. What are your thoughts on 6 and 7? Well, the law is written on man's heart. And some have a, I, I don't know quite how to phrase this, some have a, a clearer grasp on that than others and act upon that knowledge. Maybe it's because mother and father were determined to have them as rational, reasonable people in the world and told them to ask and question. Uh, Abimelech understands that he, as creature, is accountable, and he is ready to acknowledge that. And th therefore, he readily confesses, one will say, his sin. I, I think this is a great segue for us. Notice how, I mean, this will come up later when, Ab when Abimelech uh, puts before Abraham his sin, but Abimelech is ready to acknowledge, to confess before God what he has done. Now, if Abimelech is willing to do that, not really knowing exactly what might happen to him, we know what God will do when we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And even David teaches us um, that we should not let, well, we pray that sins will not have dominion over us, and then we shall be blameless. And so we should uh, recognize among our neighbors the, the spiritual people, the high-minded pagan, and uh, understand how they perceive the world, and take advantage. That doesn't sound so, um, so good. Uh, <laughs> to take advantage of their understanding of natural law, of the mm -hmm. conscience. And then, as Paul does and Morris Hill saying, well, let me tell you now about the one that you think you know about. Let me fill you in on the blanks. And God works through that. I mean, I, I like how it says that I kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. 
And this is where we see God at work, like you said, through that natural law, um, intervening even outside of those who believe in Christ, that he's continually working through people. This is not an admittance that there is, well, you know, Jesus died for everybody, therefore, you know, that every, you know, faith is not needed, you know, that everyone is saved, doesn't really matter, um, so forth. But it is an admittance that God is at work in the world, intervening for the sake of pointing people to um, the Savior, but also keeping them within the realm of how they are to live a good and holy life. So it's it's it, this is really interesting for me to to be able to reflect on this, to be able to admit that God is still working in the world, but also the need of a Savior and also the challenge to live a good and holy life. And I think that's important for our culture as well. Any thoughts? Yes, you know, he doesn't, you know, the, God doesn't disclose the gospel to him. Uh, there is no sense that he knows why Abraham and Sarah are in the region, why the marriage must be preserved the way it is. But he doesn't act upon the law as much as he is able to, that is, Abimelech. And we ought to recognize that. But the law will only take anybody so far, and will expose, finally, one's inability to please the conscience or please some external spirit or deity, whatever that person might conceive outside of himself or herself. It's along the lines of Paul's argument in Romans chapters 1 and 2, that you know, there are those who act according to the conscience, according to the law written upon the heart, but that eventually only shows them their sin, and there's no rescue in only knowing your sin. So we do have to find out the birth. Uh, that is the birth of the Savior, the, the birth of this line that will be coming up soon. All right, well, let's get to that. Um, we are on verse 8, so let's continue. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? I'm going I'm to stop there because... Abimelech is just giving Abraham the law. <laughs> it is just, you did wrong, and that's affecting me. There is no wiggle room in this, like saying, well, maybe you had a bad day, <laughs> or you didn't get enough <laughs> sleep last night, or something along those lines. He is bringing it all out and saying, you did wrong, and that affects me. And I love it. All law, all towards him from a guy who was not a believer and was not being pointed to Yahweh at this stage. So, any thoughts on that? Yes, there's there's a thread hidden under this blanket of Abimelech's law, and that is the promise of a child back in uh, chapter 18. And that seems to be covered up here. Uh, there's this huge burden now put upon Abraham, and how will Abraham respond to this? It isn't so much how Abraham responds, but rather, will God's promise endure this kind of encounter between Abimelech and Abraham? And God's promise is not broken, either by Abimelech's law of the confrontation or by Abraham's uh, disobedience. Mm. The grace is still there. 
and carries the story through so that there will be, in fact, a chapter 21 with a, a laughter at a birth. And that's an important, I mean, if we just read chapter 20 for chapter 20, you lose sight of the bigger picture. And I love how you said that, 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 that he is, um, what did you say, that God is pulling us through the story, or pulling them through the story? How would you say that? Yeah, uh, well, we have this blanket of law of this disorderliness mm. that Abraham doesn't know how to act as a husband, Sarah is silent as the wife of Abimelech, the pagan king, sort of knows what to do, but can only apply law. And you wonder what can be the issue of this kind of story. Well, if we paid attention to chapter 18, where God promised the, the birth, we know what will carry us through. It carried him through back in chapter 12. It carried him through with the, the birth of Ishmael. You know, God pointed to the stars back in uh, chapter 15. Mm-hmm. So it's whatever misstep Abraham has had, God's grace has always been there preceding and can bear the weight of any of man's sins. I love that language, Pastor, because that's language that definitely preaches that God carried Abram, Sarai, Abraham, and Sarah through to the promise. Pastor, I think that's important for us as we as we look at our Christian walk, our Christian faith, our Christian lives as the baptized that God carries us through. Any any encouragement that you have for our listeners as we as we understand that, especially as you laid it through Genesis 12 till now, this is not exactly a, a straight path, but God carried them through to the promise. Any, any more encouragement you have for our listeners with that great insight? Listen to the confession and absolution that you hear on Sunday. Uh, the general confession and absolution in the divine service, and then go to your pastor for individual confession and absolution. As if you were Abraham, you've been confronted by the law, you can make your excuses as Abraham does, his three excuses, but know that they cannot bear up under the examination of the law. And what you need, of course, is the absolution from God. In one way, the absolution doesn't finally come until the birth of Isaac, you have hinted that with the prosperity of the at the end when Abimelech enriches Abraham, and the, and the marriage is still there. Mm. But we need to hear, we have the opportunity to hear that word of forgiveness. Um, your sin has been covered by the blood of Christ. Uh, you have been raised with Christ. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That is who you are. Don't look at the failures. Satan will always accuse you of your failures. They will always be there. But know that God has turned your eyes toward Christ, and that's what you run toward, the joy that is set before you. Wonderful. I think this is a great reminder for us. It's visual. It's a reminder. God carries us through. Let's continue on. I believe, are we in verse 10, Pastor? I'm sorry. I'm getting all excited uh, about verse this. Verse 11. Verse 11. Verse 11. There, thank you. See, this is great. Verse 11. Abraham said, I did it because I thought. There is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me. Do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. There's a few, you know, there's a few interesting, I think, thoughts on this, but I wanted to start with yours. What's, what's your first thoughts on these verses? There's a lot there. 
Yes, uh, Abraham, as we are always uh, multiplying our excuses, we want to defend ourselves against mm-hmm. any accusation. Uh, sometimes we ought to listen to the pagan. Uh, what I mean by that is they can identify our sin, and we should not shrink back from the identification of our sin. It's there. We know it. Uh, we just don't like the unbeliever <laughs> being able to see it or point it out to us more clearly than we ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should have no fear in the confession of sin, meaning that we know that God is merciful and that he has forgiven sin in our Lord Jesus Christ. So we do not need to make excuse, excuses for our failures, our missteps. Uh, rather, confess them and then let the blood of Christ flow lavishly over them. It is interesting that it is, like you said, a pagan that pointed him in the right direction. And I found it interesting, too, that he looked to them and said, they don't fear God in this place. Therefore, I need to do this, this, and this. Instead of saying, I need to fear, love, and trust in God, that he will carry me through what seems to be an impossible reality for us as I enter this place. So he was definitely looking at them and saying, they don't fear God without thinking about maybe his lack of fear of God in the process. Any thoughts on that? I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that, that is a good interplay, isn't it? Uh, no fear of God, but he's, he's the one who is not fearing God. Right. Uh, fear of God is, is probably more generic, uh, like uh, conscience that is aware of divinity rather than fear of Yahweh, uh, which Abraham certainly should have had in terms of violating, disbelieving the promise of God. It reminds me a bit like Jonah, where the sailors are more aware of the situation than Jonah is. They pray. The captain calls out to him, and Jonah's silent. And the pagans have to point out to Jonah what's going on. Uh, it's just a sort of rich I- irony oh, yeah. in this instance. Oh, yeah. And then I, I tried to figure this out a little bit in verse 12 is besides she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, through not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Was he, maybe we don't know, and maybe you've researched this more than me, is he trying to kind of say, well, I, I technically didn't lie. I mean, what what is Abraham doing there in those verses? Well, uh, I do think that he is covering his tracks as much as possible. Uh, this may be related to verse 13 in as much as well, my society, my culture allows me to say this. Mm. And so he's trying to shield himself from a direct accusation. I suppose part of that we just don't know. But you're right, verse 13 definitely does clarify that. Um, and he, I'm trying to wrap my head around a little bit, and I would be intrigued to hear from our listeners as well with this, is here is Sarah, and he said to her, this is the kindness you must do me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. So Abraham, and you've talked about this throughout our time, Abraham kind of throws his vocation as, as the husband, as a faithful man, kind of throws that to the side and said, by the way, you have to do this for me. And he's basically asking her to do something that is not according to the will of God. So he, he moves aside his vocation as a faithful man and, and is not 
faithful at all, and he kind of drags her with it. Any thoughts on that, the vocations that he is definitely um, breaking um, according to God's will? Sure, he's maturing as a believer, if I can say it that way. You know, he's still wandering about the land. He's been sojourning. He's been pulling up his tent pegs, moving from place to place. And he doesn't quite yet grasp the, the, uh, the promise that will radically alter how he sees Sarah. He still thinks it's somehow uh, controlled, overseen, managed by his ability to say, this is my, uh, this is my sister. My culture allows me to do this. I can move around as I see fit. Whereas by the sacrifice of his son, he can only say, uh, well, he doesn't say very much, actually. He just says, behold, here I am. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say that yet here. He can't yet say that. He's not been yet put through the fire. The uh, the dross hasn't been driven off yet. so here, he's still maturing. He's still maturing, and that's a good way to. That's a good reminder for all of us that as we grow in faith, uh, we are constantly realizing, by God's grace, through law and through gospel, our our understanding of the grace of God and how we are to live in this world as one one's baptized, forgiven, redeemed, and sanctified by our Lord. So let's continue on. Let's read the rest of our verses. We have about five minutes left in our time, and we still have, well, probably more to cover. Verse 14. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver, is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with me, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord Yahweh had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. This story takes an un, <laughs> a twist that you might not expect up to this point. Break this down for us, these last verses. Well, you might expect, as would happen in Genesis chapter 12, that Abimelech would drive Abraham and all of his household out of the country. Who wants a man like this living in our land? Mm -hmm. But he doesn't. For some reason, well, I mean, not for some reason, but for a good reason, Abimelech covers his own uh, misunderstanding. And he wants to make sure that those around him, both his own kingdom and also those in Abraham's household, know that he has been an honorable man. Uh, I, I think that's also true, but I think there's a, a, a promise here of enrichment that comes out of Genesis 1. Abraham does everything wrong, but yet he still ends up enriched. The promise still goes on. He's not killed. His wife still goes with him. He still gets to stay in the land. He's not driven away. His, his herds grow, and he gets more silver. I mean, how does that happen to a guy who lies? Mm. The only way this, this does happen is by God's grace. And 
God is making sure that this man is preserved because he chose the man. And through the weakness of this man, he will bring forth his promise also through his wife, Sarah. Well, and that's what the, the twist in this whole thing is we envision the Bible to be very much so, you know, like an equation is they sin, God brings down his wrath, they get kicked out. Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, you know, Abraham, Abram and Sarai got kicked out, you know, Pharaoh's land, all that, they just get kicked out. They, they did wrong, and but here it's the opposite, that God, only by God's grace, which is true by all accounts, all throughout Genesis, only by God's grace are, are they blessed in any way. And here it's just more obvious. And in some ways, we might look at this and say, well, that's not very fair. I mean, you got to do right, right, in order to be blessed, right? I mean, this is that prosperity and wealth preaching that we tend to want to gravitate to in our country. So it really is something that that kind of puts us in a weird position. And I think, like you said, it throws us right back to the grace of God where Jesus says, you know, my grace is sufficient. And, and that's what we cling to in every single part of our lives. Pastor, we have about two minutes left in our time. What are your last thoughts on this great chapter? Abraham has not hit a high point here. (laughs) Uh, And, of course, that is part of the issue, that a saint doesn't have to have a high point. Uh, That's not why we are saints, because we have these high points in our lives, saying, look, I acted godly there. Uh, rather, uh, in reflection, and I go back to Hebrews 12, the whole issue is Abraham's sojourning by faith. And so one doesn't have to highlight his missteps, his his deceit here. One does have to highlight the grace of God, the mercy of God that did, that did not punish him, that didn't discard him, but rather, in fact, uh, kept him and still used him. Maybe we thought back in Genesis 12 that once it happened, it would not happen again. Maybe we thought that he could conquer his unbelief once exposed. Uh, where have we gotten that idea that we can conquer our own disbelief? It is, you know, Paul's Romans 7 that I'm a wretched man. I understand that. Who's going to rescue me? Well, thanks be to God. And no condemnation is there for those in Christ Jesus. Not for those who haven't lied, not for those who haven't deceived, but rather for those in Christ Jesus. To look at that, uh, I think that's a takeaway, a pastoral application for this. The messianic application is, of course, that God is going to use these weak characters yet. And in the depth of the weakness, once again exposed, there will be a son just as he promised. His mercy extends over his people. Pastor Stuart Crown of Trinity Lutheran Church in Palo Alto, California, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 20. Pastor Crown, thank you once again for bringing us his gifts. God's peace be with you and all the saints in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand. Amen.